This episode is brought to you by my best-selling book, Mastering Adversity, Unlock the Warrior Within, and Turn Your Biggest Struggles into Your Greatest Gifts. If you want to support this show, if you want to support the work we do here at University of Adversity, this is a great opportunity to do so. A lot of people ask me how you can support. This book was written in the process of me doing this podcast over the last five years, as well as my own personal journey of transformation and everything I've learned along the way. I highlight different people I've had on the podcast. I talk about my journey. I talk about different things that I've used in my own life to be able to master adversity when it hits. And I want to provide you guys the same tools. I talk about the five A's for mastering adversity. And I also go into four adversity archetypes to help create more self-awareness in your life. And it's all in this book. And just know that every time you purchase a book, it goes to funding the mission here at University of Adversity and will continue to do so. So go grab a copy of Mastering Adversity. I appreciate you guys. If you don't have one yet, I love you all. It's available on Amazon. Enjoy this episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. We got such a special treat for you today. This was such a powerful episode. I'm so excited to share it with you. We have the one and only Misha Tate joining us. Here's a little bit about her and her career. Misha Tate began her fighting career at the age of 19. She soon embraced the nickname Cupcake for its irony. Constantly underestimated and misunderstood, she became more determined than ever to make change. Her nickname was yet another way she was embracing yet defying stereotypes and stigmas that women don't belong in previously male-dominated sports. Misha retired in 2016, but little did she know her fighting career would not be over just yet. It took her nearly five years to rejuvenate her passion for competition, and in that time, she started a family with her fiancé, Johnny Nunez. Cupcake Tate is an MMA powerhouse, winning the UFC Women's Bantamweight Championship in 2016 and others prior. She has also represented the USA, taking a silver medal in the FILA World Grappling Championships. Misha's fighting spirit also brought her another big victory in record-breaking fashion on season three of the CBS reality show, Celebrity Big Brother. She is also a certified behavior change coach and loves to help people with setting and crushing their goals. Misha is currently ranked 15th in the world and looks to obtain her next UFC victory on December 2nd, 2023. It's coming up. It's going to be exciting. And I can't wait to watch it. This episode was so good because we covered so many different areas and I really believe that Misha's story and what we discussed can, can really is really relatable for a lot of you. You don't have to be a fighter to relate to what she's saying. And I feel like the fundamentals and the tools that we talked about can be very helpful for you in your life. So if you're struggling or you, know, you want to listen to somebody who 
had trouble with self-worth, with creating their, their identity and their worth in this world based on winning and based on achievements, this is an episode to listen to. Because what is really important about this is that you aren't your wins. You aren't your achievements. You are enough. You are a whole person without any of that stuff. And that is the main piece of the puzzle here that a lot of people miss. And I think throughout this episode, we really dive in and we cover this. And Misha really shared a lot. And uh, I was looking forward to this episode for a while. Our mutual friend, Dr. Sonia Jensen, connected us. And we've just been trying for months to make this happen. And we finally did. And what I really love is that I've been following Misha for years. You know, back when I was living in Australia in 2016, uh, I watched a lot of UFC. And that was the time when Ronda Rousey and Misha, Holly Holm, Amanda Nunes, like they really put UFC on the map for women, right? Like Misha had like a, had a major piece of that, a major part of it. And it's really cool to see because, you know, she fought some of the best and, and at a time it was so exciting. You know, she, she won the championship in 2016 against Holly Holm on the same card as the McGregor Diaz fight. So it was really exciting. And that's where I learned about her was obviously I was wanting to watch, uh, Conor McGregor fight Nate Diaz, but then I ended up also watching uh, Misha Tate fight Holly Holm. And I was like, wow, she's awesome. And then I saw her on Joe Rogan later on. And yeah, I've just been following her ever since. So it was really great to sit down and have this conversation. I think it was really, really powerful. And uh, I think you guys, if you got an hour, make sure you carve out an hour for this. It's worth it. You'll get a lot of tools from it. And go support Misha on her fight. December 2nd, she talks about it. Go watch it. Go support her. She's awesome. Go follow her on social media. She's really inspiring. She's got a really empowering message. All right? So enjoy this episode with Misha Tate. And as always, you guys, subscribe to the podcast if you aren't already. And, of course, if you feel like sharing it with somebody you feel needs it, do it. Tag us in social media. Tag us on Instagram. We love to see that. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Misha, welcome to University of Adversity podcast. We're making it happening. We're making it happen. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I feel like this was a, you know, like a an effort that was more than I had planned for us to even try to get this to happen, but we're here today and just praying for good internet because I feel like that's the only thing that could go wrong at this point. We're actually here sitting <laughs> virtually face to face, which was hard. We had to reschedule like four times, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but here we go. That's that part of <laughs> that's part of the adversity that we face doing these things, right? And uh, so, where I want to I I want to start is you got an exciting fight coming up December second, and the first question is, you know, why why the comeback? Before we dive into like a lot of your background, I just love to know like why. Well, I, so to give a little backstory on that, which I'm sure we'll probably dive into anyways, is, you know, I, majority of my adult life, I've been fighting, you know, since I was 19 years old, I had my first fight and, um, I lived eight 
breathed, everything MMA. I was completely obsessed. But I think the problem was, is that I started to make that part of my identity. So I, so I tied myself so heavily to outcomes that it became unbearable at points for me, like mentally and emotionally was so traumatic and heavy when I wouldn't win because then I was, I was a loser. It wasn't just an outcome. It wasn't just a sport. It was my life and who I was. And I just eventually reached a point where I hit rock bottom and I felt so terrible and at my lowest of lows that I knew that I had to change something, but I hadn't figured out what it was. I mean, I think when you're in your darkest moments, you don't always see everything clearly. You just know that it's not right. Like things are wrong and you don't know exactly how to figure it out. But basically I looked for the pinhole of light in the darkness and I just started to head that way. And, um, that re that for me required retiring because I think now in hindsight, I realized that I had tied myself so, so heavily in the sport that I needed to completely reinvent myself or discover myself again. Maybe it's not reinventing really. It was kind of like getting back to the roots of who I am and what makes me um, who I am outside of the sport. And so I knew I had to make a drastic change and retiring for me was, it seemed like a step in the right direction because then I would have to answer some of the hard questions like, who am I outside of fighting? Who is Misha Tate? Yeah. You hear this a lot with athletes, right? And yeah. I went through it with hockey way back in the day too. And you put so much into that character of being that athlete. And there's not a lot of time put into like, well, what if this doesn't work out? That's not even an option. And to get where you got to, yeah. your determination has to be so strong that that's not even a thought. But when that thought, when it happens, it's like, yeah, your self-worth is so tied to that identity. It's like, what do you do now? Like, who am I after that? Yeah. And it's, it, it happens so often. It does. It, it really does. And so I retired in November of 2016. Yeah. I believe that it was. And I just knew I had to change a lot of things. And I, had exited a, to a very toxic relationship some months before that, maybe six months before that. And um, by the time I got to my last fight, it was just, um, I knew I had to make more change and that's really what it was exactly. I mean, we just don't stop and think. I think athletes are conditioned or um, we just find ourselves in this obsessive mindset where nothing else matters. And it's not a very healthy skill set for life. Mm. You know, it will get you, uh, you know, usually will get you to find success inside of the sport when you have that incredible drive and you have that never quit mentality and you don't give up and you show up and you work hard and you, you overwork. I mean, the, it's like you get rewarded for things that aren't necessarily healthy human habits, right? Mm. You, you get rewarded for things that don't actually help you in the long run. So I think athletes kind of burn the candle from both ends and the middle. 
I mean, I think we crack that candle wide open and we light the wick from the inside too. And we're just burning it so fast. And we find the rewarding success and the praise and the victories and the money and the, um, you know, recognition and all these things. But what about all the things that make us complete people? We're so hyper-focused and it almost requires that, I think. At least we haven't necessarily dove into or discovered other ways that I think athletes could be a little bit more well-rounded. But from to my experience anyways, most athletes tend to take this route. And it's almost like the more adversity, the better, because that's what we are driving our focus on is that we can overcome and get through anything. But we're not really... Um, paying attention to the emotional and mental toll. We, we compartmentalize and we put all that stuff in a box because it's not necessary and it's not helpful to winning gold medals or to winning championships or to winning games or to winning matches. That stuff doesn't matter. But when is the time that we ever unpack that? Because it never goes away. And eventually that box gets heavy and we're just carrying it around with us all the time. And it gets unbearable and pretty soon the weight is crushing you to where you can't even function. And then all of a sudden you have this huge crisis. I think a lot of athletes go through this where we have this major moment or turning point. I mean, let's say injury can take you out of the sport. Um, Obviously it's not very uh, age friendly. So it's relatively sports are relatively short-lived careers. It's not really something you get to do even into your forties. You'd be lucky to. Um, So you think about the longevity of it. It's just not really meant for longevity, but there's no conversation about what's next. We're and athletes, you know, innately are just so hyper-focused on the here and the now. That's what we've got to do. We don't think about tomorrow. We don't think about yesterday. We've just got to like hyper-focus on the things that we've got to get done. And yeah, we don't take into consideration the toll that it puts on us. Yeah. You see that a lot as well with like the entrepreneurial narrative online too. It's like a lot of people are, chasing 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 and it's like well what is what is actually going to fulfill you yeah like what what is actually like what are you actually chasing i think this is a culture phenomenon and i think that it happens in more areas than just athletes and you're absolutely right i think that we are taught that persistence trumps everything just be persistent every single day but the other side of persistence the the opposite of that is like sitting back and being patient and i think that it 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 requires a balance i believe to have a homeostasis of your life to have balance and and different perspectives i think to be more well-rounded and more complete and not have all your eggs in one basket so that when that basket comes crushing down it's like if you have diversified the way that you can look at life and the way that you can look at yourself then i think it is a better place to be mentally and emotionally than to have that hyper focus and hyper diligence. And now I know that the uh, fitness culture really pushes no excuses, just get up and get after it every single day. Don't listen, you know, don't, but I'm, and I used to abide to that too. I used to adhere to that. You're absolutely right. No excuses. I don't care how I feel today. I'm just going to go to the gym and I'm going to give the 110, even if I don't have it to give. But the problem is, is that, Again, you you start digging a hole 
and pretty soon you're digging that hole and then you're throwing dirt on top of yourself and you're just burying yourself. And then eventually you're going to have to get, get out of that hole. And there's going to be a lot of work to do. And you've developed no skills in how to do that because you've just been focused on digging. You don't know anything else. You just focused on dragging yourself into the ground. So I think for me in the retirement, what was really important for me was to develop and start to have a different outlook and trajectory and value in myself, not just in the sport. And the reason why coming back to your question that I came back was because I felt like I started to get some of the answers and I really discovered, and I'm still in that process of discovering who I am. I don't think that will ever end till the day that I die, but I have so much more value to myself. And I can honestly say that at this point in my life, I am no longer outcome-based. Mm. I am 100% effort-based. That means if I go and I give a hundred percent and I lose, I can be okay with that. I'm still going to come home. You know, I still have my kids. I still have my fiance. I still have my life. I still have all the things that I've worked hard for. And it doesn't mean that I am any different from this day when I had this experience to the next day that I had this experience. And this could be the greatest experience of my life or it could be the worst experience of my life, but it doesn't, it isn't tied to my value of human being like I am Misha Tate, regardless of how the, this outcome, I mean, we're fighting. It's anything could happen. You know what I mean? Like anything. So how could I, what a great way to set myself up for, for, um, failure in the worst kind of way is to sit there and have that kind of expectation that I'm only worthy if I'm producing victories, if I'm producing wins, like, no, I'm in there grinding, working my ass off every single day. And I deserve to praise myself for that regardless, because I mean, we can't, we can never control the future. We can't control outcomes. We can't, um, we can do everything that we can to try to be our best. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if I don't win, then that's okay too. I just got to give everything that I can and be happy with that. It's so important. That's such a powerful message because I think a lot of people feel that way. And coming from somebody that fought in such an unbelievable time, you know, where you're fighting Ronda Rousey and then beating Holly Holm and then losing to Manu Nunes, like that, that period of time was like, was so exciting for UFC, like, and, and to be able to fight and do what you did in that period of time. And then, you know, the pain it must've felt to like be able to win and then lose to somebody. And then like, I can't imagine what you would have went through. And I guess my question is like, after losing to Amanda Nunes, who ended up going on to be like, what undefeated for another eight years or six years or something. Like what was, what was your, what did that look like? Like what did the deconstruction process look like? Like what did that light look like in that? Because, you know, you had gone, you had, you had worked so hard to achieve this and you had lost and then you had won. And it's like, I can't even imagine the roller coaster of emotion that you went through. And we all followed you through that journey. Like I was following you then. That's when I learned about you was in UFC 196. And then I was like, wow, you know, and you were really a fighter and you were really like, like inspirational to so many people. You still are. So I'm curious as to like what that looked like in that darkness, like what, what had to be stripped away? Like what needed to, what were some of the practices that you did 
to kind of like create that wholeness within yourself again? Well, that's a, that's a loaded question for sure. I'll do my best to answer in the thing in, in like somewhat of a nutshell, but I mean, it is a process and it certainly doesn't happen overnight, but I think what the first step for me was honesty. I had to really sit back and ask myself some hard questions and I had to have some difficult answers because I, again, I think as an athlete, I didn't prioritize how I felt. I prioritized how I did and the outcome. So I had to sit back and ask myself why, how, um, who, and, and the people that, that made me feel certain ways. And I think sometimes we don't stop to ask ourselves questions. You know, we assume that we know a lot about ourselves, but I've discovered sometimes I know very little about myself because I've just chosen to ignore a lot of parts of me that uh, really are important and make me feel complete. So I think the deconstruction process had to do with asking myself the hardest questions. You know, um, who am I? What am I without fighting? Um, What do I want out of life? What's next? What what would I do if I didn't have fighting? That was like a mind blowing question. Honestly, that was just, I had no idea. So I kind of just had to go off the deep end and I retired from fighting. It was unexpected. And let me tell you this. I had this sick mindset that if I lost, I just had to get back in there as soon as possible to win because that's the only solution I had at the time. It was the only thing, only answer. I had no other skill set. I had no other way of helping myself through a time of crisis, which is really what I had created for myself. I'm talking like bawling my eyes out, feeling like I want to die because I didn't win. I mean, if you really think on that on a very deep level, it's wild to think that a that a sport essentially a game, something that we should enjoy doing could make you feel like you want to take your own life. I mean, that's the truest, like the deepest, darkest, most vulnerable place, but it's a place that I've been before. Absolutely. And I knew that I, I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to live like that anymore. And so I figured if I was going to keep doing what I was doing, that I was going to continue on the same trajectory. So I had to make a major change and that required me to um, retire and, and find out, like find out who I am without fighting. And so it was a very sincere retirement at that time. I really had felt like I had fallen out of love with the sport and um, I had a lot of negative feelings towards the sport. And so when I had fought Amanda and I lost my world title, then again, I thought, well, I better just get another fight and get another win. But I had burnt everything at that point. I had nothing left and I didn't perform well in my last fight either. I was very much on autopilot. I don't really remember the fight that well. I don't remember the week of the fight. I, I don't know where I was, but I certainly wasn't, I wasn't there. And then I knew I had to make a big change or I feared that if I kept on that, that, that I might get to a point where in my darkest moment that I'm, that I may attempt to take my own life. And, um, it wasn't what I wanted, but it certainly was knocking on the door. And so I had to make a big change and that's what I did. And I, I literally packed up my car and I took my little dog with me and I just 
hit the road and I didn't even know where I was going to be honest, but I just drove for like two weeks. I drove from Las Vegas up the coastline and I really focused on discovering myself during that time. Like what decisions would I make if I didn't have anybody else trying to make decisions for me or telling me how I should be or um, the looming pressure of a fight or the fact that I need to be inside the gym. Like what if I just did what Misha Tate wanted to do? Like whatever that was, whether that was like sleeping on the beach whether that was like going on a hike, whether if that was like stopping and going wine tasting, like just trying to rekindle and re like reinvigorate this relationship that I had, that I had neglected with myself. And that was the big turning point for me. And also rekindling relationships with my family members that I had put off for a long time that just didn't seem important to me at the time because it wasn't fighting right? It, it wasn't, it wasn't what I had dedicated my entire existence to. So, you know, there were great uncles and aunts and, um, you know, people that I, you know, I needed to reconnect with and, and have a relationship with and friends and even my parents, you know, I had neglected those. And I, I think athletes do that sometimes too, because we get so busy. Entrepreneurs yeah. probably too. We get so busy and we forget that there is a purpose, a greater purpose in life, I think, than just working ourselves to the bone, you know, go, mm -hmm. I think, you know, and going back to the whole narrative about the fitness industry and whatnot is that, you know, they teach you don't basically tell you don't listen to yourself. And I have mixed feelings about that because I think there are days when you can push. Yeah. But there are certainly days I think when you should listen and you always just give what you have. That's kind of my motto. Give what you have. If today is a day that you can go and give a hundred, go and give a hundred. Mm -hmm. If today is the day that you can go and give 50, give 50. If it's yeah. the day that you can give 10%, give 10. Mm. Like, that's okay. But like, have some communication with all parts of yourself. And um, don't shut it out. Because it's, it's going to catch up to you. It will catch up to you. How did your fans... How did, how did that... How did your fans react to you, like, wanting to retire? And, like, during that time, obviously, you grew in popularity and you had to deal with, like, the social media and, like, you know, the fame aspect of it. How did that affect you and all that? Because that's a whole other dance in itself, right? That you probably had to, like, you probably had haters. You probably had supporters. You probably have, you know, everybody knows everything. People trying to tell you this and that and, and critics and all of that, because that's a whole thing that a lot of people forget about. It's like, yeah. how did, how did you deal with that in the process? I stepped away from it for a while because I wasn't, I was so fragile mm. that even though the majority was an outpouring of love and consideration and affection from my fans, I feel like I have pretty solid fans. But there are also still the fans who are haters or who have something to say or think that they know. And it just takes one of those comments to fixate on. It takes one of those to cut you. And I mean, you ever notice, I'm sure most people have gotten sucked into some kind of social media battle at this point or whatnot. But, you know, it's you scroll through 10 positive, 20, 100 positive comments and you're like, all right, all right, cool. And then you see the one negative one. And what do we fixate on? It's that one, yeah. right? That you're coming back and seeing if that person's responded yet because now you're in an argument with them. You know, and it's like, I just didn't even want to put myself in that place. So I chose to um, kind of stay away from it for a little bit. And I think that's healthy too, sort of a purge, if you will, of social media. Because ultimately, 
as grateful as I am for my fans, I would say 90% of them I will never meet. I will never know. I will never have a relationship with that 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 is uh you know of of the kind of importance to me that the people in my life, you know, my parents, my children, my fiance, my my close friends, like those were the people that I needed and I just tell I try to warn people to if you don't think that you're in a place that's where things will not affect you. So I can go online now and I can read like the rudest comments and it, and it, and it genuinely like deflects off of me. Like it really doesn't, you know, evoke response. I mean, sometimes I'll be like, well, that was rude or whatever, but I actually have developed to a place where I have empathy for the people who are in a position where they feel like it's necessary or good about attacking some, someone else that they don't know that they're not walking in my shoes. They don't, they don't know me. So if they want to throw something out online, chances are like, they're probably dealing with some shit, you know, like they're probably going through some stuff. They're probably, and they're, they're deflecting the more that I learn about trauma and these things. So then you start to understand, like, I'm not even mad at the person who road rages next to me and is like pissed off, you know, cause I didn't, I, I you know, I didn't go through the green light fast enough or whatever. I, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. people who are upset and angry in life and that's usually a byproduct of some shit they've had to go through and some For trauma sure. that they haven't dealt with. And when you start to look at it that way, you can kind of be like, Oh man, I'm glad that I don't have to drive around like that. <laughs> I'm sure glad that I've grown and I feel sorry for that person that this is the way that that something so little could tip the scale for them to make them fly off the handle. That that means that they're already maxed out. And I'm so grateful that I don't have to be like that. So then you kind of start to look at everybody as like, man, I, man, the more angry or, you, or rude you are, the more I actually feel sorry for you. And it, it doesn't hurt me because I know you're in more pain than I am. So like, I, I wish you well, it's not, not going to hurt me because I know you're, you're hurting more than I am. Yeah. Sometimes they just need a hug. You're just like, that's oh, it. <laughs> you know, like I try to tell my daughter this when she's going through hard things at school, you know, I was, I was like, look, um, you know, there's, there's going to be kids sometimes that say mean things and we can either choose to meet mean with mean and it's going to escalate meanness, mm -hmm. or we can choose to meet meanness with kindness and maybe show them that there's a better way to operate. And I was like, just remember that she's only five, you know, it's like, you're a leader. And I was like, you you can say to somebody, it's okay if you don't like my dress. I like it. Let them have their opinion. Validate, say, it's all right if you think that it's ugly. I don't. I think that it's pretty. And you still hold on to your self-belief. You don't change who you are as opposed to like letting somebody make you feel that way and then getting angry and escalating that anger, you know? So I try to teach her at a young age, like keep your core belief of who you are and don't just let people have a reactionary effect on you. Understand that they're going through something. They're having a hard time. They Maybe they feel bad about what they're wearing or whatever. You know, I try to explain it in five-year-old um, terminology to her, but it also helps me break it down in a really simple way, right? And sometimes when people are deflecting anger or aggression, right, it's, um, they probably didn't get enough hugs as a child growing up to be honest, you know, or they grew up in a single family home where that first, that, that family member had to work so hard every single day and was not able, even well-meaning, even parents who love their kids, sometimes they're not able to provide um, 
the financial necessity and the emotional necessity for children. Unfortunately, here in America, we have it. It's tough. Like families can very rarely afford for only one parent to work, which means what? Like the kids kind of get left in the dust sometimes, like even by parents who really love their kids and mean well. So point in cases, um, I just try to look at it from that perspective, which eases the burden. Like it's so much easier to not be upset about the comments that are rude online, which you're never going to escape that. But if, if you're not in that place yet, I would just say like steer clear of it. Like you have a choice whether you, you, whether you look at it or not. Now, once you look at it and you read it, you don't necessarily have a choice in how it makes you feel. Cause that's just automatic but then you're going to have to have a choice in how you choose, how you process that feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it, for me, it's taken a lot of levels and steps. Another thing that I love is breath work. Mm, And you were kind of saying like some of the things that I've gotten into, I mean, breathing, I, I just, I never realized it's free. I think people underestimate it because it's free. You don't have to pay a doctor for it or a physician or anything. It is free, but it's scientifically proven to take you out of fight or flight with free three deep diaphragmatic breaths. Are you kidding me? It's that easy. Yeah. It's not, you know, like, so for me, breathing is, is a regular part of what I do. As soon as I notice that I'm getting to a point where I'm getting triggered or I'm feeling frustrated, which, you know, a three and a five-year-old, they're pretty great at triggering, you know, like (laughs) I have to tell myself, all right, Misha, you're getting triggered. Don't blow up on your kids. I have to take a deep breath, but those are my resets. And I, I cherish that being able to have that freedom of just, just one simple deep breath. Sometimes is all that I need to take me out of a bad headspace. Three deep breaths is great. And then morning breath work is something that I'm still working to incorporate more and more often, but man, I I can't say enough great things about what you can do with breathing. Breath work has completely changed my life too. Yeah. It's, it's so essential now to my daily practice. Like I'm actually learning how to facilitate because I've just seen it, the power of it. And you're right. It's free. Like you have access to it. And then you combine that with meditation. I, I, it's become like an essential, essential piece for me just to like, you know, like just to kind of, Oh, okay. I'm here. Like I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm connected for the day. You're present. Yeah. Here right now when you were breathing, you're right here right now. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. It's, you know, I, yeah, I can't say enough great things about it. And it's so cool to hear that you, that you're doing it as well. I think more people should, but you know what I think sometimes the problem is it's, it's not hard to do breath work. I mean, you could do, you could be really well off like eight minutes of breath work, even less, sometimes five minutes in in your morning every day. And now you don't have five to eight minutes for yourself. I would argue that any, pretty much anyone um, minus like maybe like an ER doctor, like people that are working 24 hours a day, there may be days when they don't get it in because of schedule craziness. But I'm saying right now, a lot of people, it's not a time problem. It's a value problem. Mm-hmm. If you do not value yourself enough to say that I deserve to make this time and space for myself, then you won't, you won't do it. And I see a lot of people struggle with that where they just don't prioritize themselves. They've got all this other stuff to do. And 99% of it is serving other people. And it's like, what about yourself? Because if you lose yourself in all of this, you're of no good to anybody anyways, which if you're only going to live your life to serve the purpose for other people, 
you know, you're going to be chasing your tail in this whole thing until it blows up in your face. And then you're going to be trying to figure it out and pick up the pieces. So I say, you know, a lot of times it's not a time issue. It's a value issue. You got to value yourself. You got to realize that it's important. And doesn't it make you wonder how you ever functioned without it now that you have breath work and meditation? hundred percent. Like I feel off if I don't do it. Like I feel like, like it just doesn't feel... I don't feel like myself, like, yeah. like legit. <laughs> I don't know how I did it. You want to do right. All the things that you want to do throughout your day or all the people that you want to help or the differences that you want to make are uh, so much more like you're able to be more charged about it. You're able to yeah. be more present. I'm a, I'm a much better partner, mother, athlete, um, anything else that I want to do when I service myself first. Yeah. Um, it's not selfish. It's just like self-love. It's having the value. You know, there's always the great classic example of putting your, your airplane, the mask on you first, right? Because mm -hmm. obviously if you pass out, you cannot put it on your children or, nor anybody else. Same thing. Yeah. If you are sinking, you know, then you, you're not going to be of service to yourself or anybody else. So I say, you know, change your value system. If you're not yeah. putting yourself first, then you can't, um, uh, you know, you're likely you will not reach the places that you want to and be able to help the people that you want to make the differences that you want. And yeah, you're going to burn the candle at both ends. So change your values. Yeah. And the reason I think these kind of tools are so important is because these moments where we get, you know, we get out of regulation, we get triggered or, you know, you go through adversity or you go through defeat. Like those are the moments where it's like, how do I bring myself? How do I regulate myself? How do I get, bring myself back to baseline, you know, without going off the deep end? Because it's so easy emo to get emotional, right? And it's like, I love how it can just, you can just go back to your breath. Like yeah. our breath is always there. It's yeah. always there for us. And usually I have found when I'm all like, panicky or something i'm like are you breathing and i'm like oh, yeah. i'm breathing <laughs> like like not even breathing properly like normal breaths and it and it, you don't even have to do like intense breathing you could just focus yeah. on hey okay. am i breathing right now and yeah. it's like oh oh things aren't so bad yeah <laughs> well think about it for a second breathing is the most essential thing we do every single day yeah. And 99.9% .9 of the time, people never focus on it. It's just something we do in passing. But how long can you go without breathing? It's our number one source of energy. So if you can just dedicate a little bit of time to focused breathing, it will pay more than its weight in dividends. You know, that little bit of time that you dedicate is going to pay dividends and it's, it's really an incredible thing. Uh, and for me, another thing is uh, getting outside as much as possible. You know, we have become known as the indoor generation. We spend 90 to 95% of our time indoors. You know, we go from being inside to being in our car to being in an office or even in a gym, like a lot Wild. of us you know, we work out, we're always inside. And I just don't believe that the human body was meant to be inside so much of the time. I think we have demonized the sun 
and glorified sunscreen, you know, like I don't wear sunscreen. I get outside as much as I can. Um, I, I use earthing techniques, which, um, you know, people might be like, oh, that's hippie, you know, whatever, but it's been proven scientifically that there is a charge and there's a charge from us and there's an exchange. And we, before we got so, so smart, I'm doing my air quotes right now, you know, so smart to build this life of luxury and comfort. Um, we were outside and one with nature. And I, I think that our bodies and brains naturally would thrive better under those circumstances than, you know, when we get comfortable, we get weaker. Think about that. The more we get temperature controlled, we don't handle the cold as well. Then we don't handle the heat as well then because we never are pushing our bodies to evolve beyond that. If you stop working out, what happens? You, you emaciate your muscles go away. Cause you don't need them if you're just sitting around all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you work out and you push yourself, you evolve, you grow those muscles. Same thing. Anytime we're not really pushing ourselves out of comfort zones, we are essentially too comfortable, which means we de-evolve and we don't, I think, humans were meant to do great things. And I think if you're not doing hard things or or great things, then a lot of times you just, yeah, you're just kind of becoming basic and it's boring and it's depressing and it's not fun. it's like, well, I know that I don't enjoy getting in cold plunges. Actually probably one of the top (laughs) things, if not the top one thing that I hate more than anything is getting in cold water. But you know what I love on the end of that is that, I'm able to look and say like, Hey, I did something that was really hard. It was really difficult. And I did it. And that's a win for me. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that motivates me. It makes me know that I can do challenging things. I can overcome obstacles. I can give what I have. And sometimes what I have is more than what I thought. And I can be really proud of myself for that. And I, I celebrate myself in those moments, you know? So I think there's a lot of great things that we can do that are completely free to help us thrive as humans. Yeah. And I have found as well, like completely agree when you do the hard thing, it actually brings a more of a flow state. Yes. Like it's like people think like, Oh, just go with the flow and whatever. Actually that creates more chaos because I find if you choose a hard thing, like cold plunge or do a hard workout or sauna, then what happens? The byproduct is like, Oh, I'm more flow now. Like I'm more dialed into the task rather than, Oh, let's not do anything. Let's just go with the flow. No. Cause then I, I feel completely out of whack. If I don't have that kind of thing, like whether it's like a breath work or meditation or some sort of challenge, like, and you're saying with the ice bath and it's the worst thing ever, but at the other side of it, it's It's like every single time it's like, why do I hate this thing? And then after it's like, Oh, I love this thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the stress responses of your body getting stronger feel so damn good. Yeah. If you haven't done something to challenge yourself recently, you are missing out on your true potential. Yeah. Right. And that's a thing I think can be depressing. I think that's part of the reason why depression numbers are up. I think it's that we have made life very comfortable. And I I think there are more than one reason, but I think one reason is we've made it pretty cush and pretty comfortable and it doesn't feel good to de-evolve. It feels good to evolve. It feels good to do those challenging things and to know that you can, to know that you're capable, to know that 
you can overcome and work through that is empowering. And I know, I believe that humans were made to do the impossible, like made to do great things. And I think it's really sad to, you know, go to, go to school, graduate college in debt, work in a career that you weren't sure because you were only 18 years old and didn't have any life, you know, life experience when you picked this degree. And then, you know, you're a doctor, you're whatnot. If you're even lucky enough to use the degree that you graduated with, then you're going to work your life paying, you know, paying a lot of that debt back. And then when you finally start to make money, you're still going to work until what is the, the retirement age? 64? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere around there. 62, 64, something like that. Yeah. And did you know our average death age just dropped another two years? So that's 74 years old is when when our average death rate is. That's Although wild. we spend really? in the country the most money on medical. Yeah. You know, on, on medicine. And and I just don't there's something we're missing. And it's I think it's what we're talking about right here. There's a large amount of people that are missing the connection that they have with themselves, the ability to do great things the ability to push outside of the comfort zone, to do those hard things, to win the day just with an ice bath or a cold shower. I don't care. It could be simple. 30 second cold shower. You won the day today. You did something that meant more than just going to work and slaving your life away until you were 60 some years old and too old to enjoy life. And you're going to die by 74 and you never really lived. So, you know, I think that there are things that make us feel alive and sometimes it's as simple as three minutes of breath work. Sometimes it's walking on the grass and sometimes it's doing something really challenging or sitting in a sauna or sitting in a cold plunge, you know, but these things make us feel alive and like we're worth more than what we're told we can do and what we should do, which is should work, work, work a boring job every single day that you hate. Like mm. you're worth more than that. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm, I'm curious as to, Okay. I kind of want to dive into like nutrition and I know I can tell that we're kind of, we, we were on the same, just about everything. We obviously follow the same people and do, you know, have yeah. the same mindset. I'm curious for yourself as a high performer, like you gotta, you gotta be dialed in. And I know that when I played, you know, years ago, the narrative of what was good for you, what to refuel on has changed a lot. And I'm sure it has for you, right? With inflammation and, you know, all of that stuff. So I'm curious as to like, like, what does that look like for you? Like what is, what foods really work for you at performing at your best? And like maybe some of the things that you used to do that you don't anymore that you've eliminated, because I I think a lot of people get confused, but I like to ask you because you're in the trenches training, like, you know, this shit and you're leaning out and you look great, by the way, you've been leaning out and I've been watching on social media, you know, obviously (laughs) like, um, and it's great. So I'm just curious as to like, what does that look like for you these days? Here is my general theory on this. And of course, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nutritionist, but I have been a professional athlete majority of my life. And I've been fortunate to learn from people much, much smarter than me. And I'm obsessed with learning this stuff because it's my life and my livelihood. And I also am extra motivated because I have two small children who I think my ceiling becomes their floor. So the more that I can propel myself and my knowledge, the more that I can set them up with success as, as a, as a start point for them. So my general thought on this is 
the more that we can be like hunter gatherers, the more that we can eat things that come straight from the earth or straight from the cow that it was how it was meant to be raised. Cows were meant to be grass fed, right? These things are important because the actual milk from a cow that is grass fed versus one that is grain fed is nutritionally different. Mm-hmm. There are more of the bad omegas, inflammatory omegas, I believe it's omega-6, um, in non-grass-fed milk than there is in grass-fed milk. That means that what the cow eats changes what the gal- cow produces. This should not be like mind-blowing information because it makes sense, right? Like what we put in, we get out kind of same thing, right? So the, what the cow eats matters. So what the cow eats then affects what I'm ingesting And I think the more natural, the better. The way that it was before we ever thought that we should change it up and make it different. So I just really try to eat as much organic, as much from the ground, as much um, from the cow, the chicken, the fish. I try to get wild caught fish as opposed to farm fed fish. You know, farm fed fish and shrimp, they eat things like corn and grain and, and even other animals' feces. Like they're not, they're, they are, their bodies have nutritionally changed. And like, when we eat that, then it's just, it's not as good for us. And it causes those inflammatory responses. So I see this, I see this a lot in, in uh, professional athletes who have to make weight, actually, like the moment that we jump off of our diet. So let's say, you know, I fight December 2nd and by the night of December 2nd, I'm, you get better guarantee. I like to live my life too. You know, I'm going to be out eating barbecue because I'm going to be in Austin, Texas. Then I'm going to eat the bread and I'm going to eat the barbecue and I'm going to have the mayonnaise and I'm going to eat whatever my heart feels like having. And I potentially could wake up 10 pounds or more heavier the very next day. Why do you think that that is? Because you're going to retain it because you've been you've been trying so clean, to right yeah and it's inflammation it's all mm-hmm. it is like i could not possibly physically in any way shape or form gain 10 pounds of fat it's all fluid yeah. and what basically happens is my body is extremely inflamed now because it's dealing with all these things that it hasn't had to but you see this happen time and time again from fighters and it's because what we're putting in our body is so processed a lot of times we don't know how to break it down so it's it causes all kinds of problems but now think about the person who's not aware of that i'm aware of it because i know the difference because i do yeah. both yeah. so sometimes i still choose to make the bad choice and yeah. and i'll work out and i'll sweat it out and i'll detox in my sauna and i'll you know i'll pay the price but imagine people who don't know or even are trying to eat healthy and they don't know that these are toxin laden foods that this is a crop you know i'm i'm sorry you know jamba juice like no like that that's not like it's not good for you but there are people who genuinely don't know that because i get so frustrated that people should that people that we think that people should basically have to have a nutrition degree in order to distinguish how to eat healthy in this country because it's so difficult it is so difficult. And for a person who's working two jobs already and they're trying to just go to the store and trust that something's healthy because it says it is and it's a bunch of bullshit. You know, it's it's the orange juice is terrible. The, um, you know, the, the milk that's not super expensive is terrible. Like, it's so hard. So, like, I really feel for people. But I do want people to understand that a lot of times, like, they're not, bought, like, if you are 
overweight or you're wanting to lose weight, a lot of times it's not just, you know, pure fat that's on you. It's a lot of inflammation from years of eating, even if you're trying to eat healthy, you know, and I applaud, like if you're trying to, you think that you're doing it right. It is so much more complicated than that. And there's a a ton of inflammation that's just sitting in your tissues. And I know that because I see those massive differences. I mean, I could gain like almost 15 or more pounds, like in, in a couple of days and, and then it can be gone again. And that's all fluid inflammation, but I don't think enough people see that, that, and I've seen even more with people who are bigger, you know, 20, 30 pounds overnight. It's insane. You know, some of these guys who are 180, 200 pounds, like they can fluctuate that much, but it's all swelling basically in the worst kind of way, not like a good, like, you know, there's a swelling for like inflammation in your body when they're trying to healing. I'm talking about like chronic inflammation. So bad for you. Yeah. I would trust somebody in the field like yourself a lot more than I trust somebody that's got a nutrition degree that's backed by the government, which is most of it's bullshit anyways. And it's like, it doesn't take, a rocket scientist to try these things out and see for yourself. Like I say to people, try it out, like literally try it, see how you feel. You're not (laughs) going to know how you feel until you eliminate it. Then you eliminate it. Yes. Eat clean, do the things that the people say, and then add in that stuff. Right. You're going to see immediately. Like I know I do in my joints, like, and I I'm like you, sometimes I'll enjoy bread or I'll enjoy these things, but I know the feeling right away. Like I'll have, when I have seed oils or something, I was like, Oh, I just, I feel it. I feel off. Like there's, there's, there's truth to that. And there's so much about the calorie in calorie, all that BS. There's more. I believe the inflammation side of things is so important at like, I notice it too. When training I'll have, and I, I bet you notice this too, like old injuries, will like start to flare up when you're like, yeah. if you've had some sort of like inflammatory yes. food or you had yep. some booze the night before, it's like, oh, that, and I uh-huh. thought that was a way. And then you go on Talk like- Talk about oh. a deterrent, right? Like yeah. I really barely even drink anymore. And I mean, occasionally I will, like I'm not a, I'm not a black or white, like can't, can or can't have kind of person. But to your point, when you have been clean off these, anything, inflammatory foods or alcohol, whatnot, you really notice the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you go on like carnivore for like a week or two, like I literally, I, I couldn't stay on carnivore because I get bored. I tried it. I felt amazing steak and eggs, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, I just want to eat some, I like veggies, but like, I could feel the inflammation go down. Yeah. Like legit. I was listening to a podcast with Gary Brecka. So I'll, I'll, I'll spin off of some of his statistics and uh, hopefully get those mostly right. I think I will, but, (laughs) but our grain, every, all of our grain in the entire U S is sprayed with uh, folic acid now, unless it's organic. So what I've learned though, is that 44% of the population cannot methylate that basically means can't break it down. So this is part of the reason why it is understood that the carnivore diet is so popular because you're eating um, already broken down, not the fake version, basically man-made version of folate is folic acid, but folic acid is confusing to our bodies because it's not real. 
It doesn't know what to do with it. It's I, I guess I would draw like something like, would you eat a plastic bag? Like, no, you wouldn't do that. Why? Because it's not food and it doesn't break down the body, doesn't get what to do with it. There's a lot of things that have been created by man that's just forced in our food, anything that's enriched, basically. So if it's not organic wheat or bread, it will be enriched, means it will have this. And 44%, it might even be higher than that. But basically half of our population can't break it down which can have all kinds of horrible side effects. So if you're interested in hearing more about that, I would recommend to to hear him out. But this is part of the reason why, again, the all meat diet, you're getting all, it's very nutritionally dense. Meat is extremely nutritionally dense and so are organs and whatnot. Um, But you're also removing a lot of things that you may not have known that your body couldn't handle or break down. Mm. So there's a little food for thought for you. As far as the carnivore diet, I I, I like it. I've done it a little bit before too, but I do a modified. I still have vegetables and I still have fruits yeah. and I still try to prioritize like having more meat and, and less carbs. But women are also a little bit different. Yeah. You know, men, here you go. I'll, I'll, Dr. Mindy Peltz, I learned this again from Oh, people. she's amazing. I love her. So oh, she's much. amazing. And then Dr. Sonia Jensen has really yeah. educated me so much on the female hormones. Yeah. So, I mean, in the early part of my career, I did everything based off, off of male model. So I fought, I fought like them. I dieted like them. I trained like them. I did everything like that, but men are on a 24 hour hormone cycle. So every day is kind of like groundhog's day for you guys. It's pretty much the same. And you get testosterone every 15 minutes. I get it once a month for just like a, maybe like a day or two or three, I have testosterone present. And the rest of the time I don't, I'm estrogen or progesterone is the hormones I'm dealing with. So I'm on a 28 day cycle means no day is the same for me. So I have revamped my entire training schedule to lift heavier on the times when I have testosterone present, because that makes sense. Right. And then when I have progesterone present, that's kind of like the Netflix and chill kind of hormone doesn't want me to do an 11 out of 10 kind of workout. So I modify the workout to give what I can during that time period. And when I have estrogen present, that's like more I can do more longer fast. I can hit longer cardio endurance workouts. I've learned so many things about being a woman that is different and yet amazing about bringing the best version of myself as a female athlete. And Mm -hmm. I also um, just understand how different we are and how to train for the best version of myself while being a woman. It's not the same as, as being a man. And um, so that's another thing to take into consideration. And that's why that, that's what got me off on that was the, uh, the meat diet. So there are times when our hormones as females want our blood sugar a little bit higher. And I don't think that a pure carnivore diet would work in my mind, in my theory, what I understand as well for a woman for a long period of time, because we, our bodies just don't want us in ketosis all the time. Yeah, Our bodies just don't. So you're going to be working against at least some of your hormones sometimes, which can mess up your cycle. I had that happen when I cut down to 125 and it was pretty, it was pretty rough because, um, you know, when you don't, when you don't feel good hormonally, whether you're male or female, your hormones are everything. They, they really are the reason why you feel the way you do. If you feel depressed, there's hormones, you know, and, and it, it could be what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Was it your your thoughts and your feelings and your suppression of feelings that caused a trigger of hormones like chronically high cortisol, you know, or was it a hormone imbalance that caused you to feel this way? You'd have to talk to your doctor about that, but the hormones correlate with how we feel. So mm-hmm. essentially I've learned also to train 
for my hormones and to fast for my hormones and to eat for my hormones. Primarily so, I will say meat is a great food. Try to do grass-fed and organic because it's nutritionally different and it matters. Um, and, you know, try not to eat process- as many, anything that anybody has already made into something is processed. So it doesn't have to be Twinkies for it to be processed. It can be, unfortunately, um, you know, just like crack, healthy bread, crackers. Basically, bread is... yeah. Uh, Ezekiel bread, you know, a lot of people were big on that, you know, it's a very, you know, more nutritious. So just, you know, think about that. And I, I'm, you know, do I eat crackers? Yes. Do I eat these other things? Yes. But I'm really trying to steer towards organic more, trying to make things more from home, trying to grow more things in, in my garden, which is easier said than done in the desert. Cause I live in Las Vegas and like nothing wants to grow here, but I've got some green onions going and yeah, it's, you know, trying to live more of the life that I feel like is important to me. I think you brought up such a great point that basing your nutrition schedule and training schedule on, you know, you as a woman versus like trying to replicate the male side of things. Yeah. And Dr. Mindy and Son- Dr. Sonia, they're amazing, like amazing so- humans. And that's so great that, yeah, because it's so important to have that understanding. I think, you know, there's a lot of women that can get a lot of value from that and hearing what you just said there, because I think a lot of women will look through the male lens in that regard. And it's great to kind of, you know, right. change how you look at it as it, cause that's a great point. And I've never even thought about that, about like the cycles and, and how men get the testosterone daily and not many people talk about that. No, and it's a big difference. And I really feel like this has elevated me as a woman and also to understand my different feelings. You know, women get criticized a lot for, you know, I'll, I'll say it, you know, quote unquote, being crazy, right? Oh, we have this. But I think we're misunderstood because I think there is so much that should be appreciated about what a female goes through in order to bring every human that's ever existed in this world into existence, right? It comes from the female body, but it requires a lot. And we go through a lot hormonally to be able to have balance. And I even look at it as a deep perspective that women are nurturers. It's important for us to understand and go through a lot of different emotions, I think, so that we can empathize with our children who are also going to go through these emotions, right? And I, I, so not to get off too much on a tangent in that perspective, but the point in case is understanding your hormones has really allowed me and my, my, my man, Johnny, it's like, Hey, you know, babe, this is, this is the couple days I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to take on big tasks. I'm not, I don't want to, ha- I don't want to argue with you. I be prepared. Like I'm just already like at, uh, like I'm, um, I'm already on overload a little bit and that's just sheer hormones. It's nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do. It's just part of the cycle. And right now is not the time that you're going to want to come to me and like with a big problem, because you're not going to get the kind of reaction and feedback that you want. I'm not ready for it. And just him understanding that has made such a beautiful, harmonious kind of like, okay, I understand. What do you need today? Maybe like, how can I help you today? And then when I have it, you know, like you know, like when testosterone's present, right? And that's like the sex drive is high and it's like everything is great and it's like all these things, but the understanding of the ebb and flow for female, I kind of wish that more men would be empathetic to that and appreciate that this is what's required for women 
to bring your children into the world and of your mothers, of your sisters, of your daughters like this, you know, you're going to have females involved in your life. So if you can't understand that and you want to just be like, well, you know, you're crazy. That doesn't help. That just makes them more crazy. Right. As opposed to trying to be understanding of like, Hey, you know what? Like a few days or the week before the period, that's when emotions are actually the highest. Like I can't tell you how many times for me, it's been like, Oh, like, I'm just like in this, like, I didn't understand before, like, it'd be a little rage. And it's like, oh, then your cycle starts. And you're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> now I know why. But it's like, uh, you know, like, that's the truth of it. And I just don't think it should be something we should even be afraid to like, do to discuss like, why, you know, it's part of nature. Why should women have to feel ashamed? Why should we have to hide that? Why should we have to act like it doesn't exist? You know, like, and I think it would be also helpful if men got on board, because then it could be like, all right, you know, like, I understand what she's going through. And it makes it so much easier as opposed to nobody understanding when we don't talk about it, even women feel bad, then we not only do we feel crazy at times, but we feel guilty, you know, so guilty for having those emotions and not realizing we just didn't set ourselves up for success, nor did we set our partners up for success by just having simple awareness of what's going on with our hormones. Yeah. I feel like even like you just saying that just, you know, opened up my mind a lot because like, just thinking about that, like we got to understand these things. Like it's like a prerequisite for it's a man, helpful. I feel like, cause it's like, you just assume like we, you know, I've been in relationships where I'm just like, what's your problem? Like, why are you, but if we understood the complexity of the cycle, we would probably have a lot more understanding, but like 99% of guys, including me don't understand yeah. that. <laughs> so because we're just nobody talking about it except for Mindy and Sonia that I yeah. know of anyways, <laughs> yeah. which are amazing women who have really helped me to not feel insane and also prevent a lot of the mood swings. Yeah. Because when you know, and you understand knowledge is power. And so therefore it's like, Hey, I can just be accepting of myself right now. And I don't need to compound everything with guilt and then be frustrated at my partner and then be frustrated at me. Like, let's set ourselves up for success. Let's actually, okay. It's the week before the cycle. Let's, let's go get couples massages. Doesn't that sound nice? That's the week to do it, you know? And like, just like embracing that we're going to not be at 10 out of 10 and that's okay. You might be a 10 out of 10 because maybe for you today is no different than the other day, but I may need to be mindful that I have a a side of me that needs to be nurtured. And I think as a female, it is important that we embrace all the aspects of what we go through because truthfully, I think we're the more well-rounded with emotions. You know, women tend to talk about things. We tend to um, have a lot of empathy and things. And it's not to say that men don't, but I think um, part of it is because we go through such a big range. We don't have a choice. We go through a big range of emotions. And I think for men, it's just a little bit different, but I think it's helpful to be in tune with that, to understand. Oh, and I was listening to another podcast with Dr. Mindy and she had a guest on and I don't remember who it was, but they had come, she had come up with the strategy with her husband where she would light a candle at certain times of the cycle and everyone thinks that it's, you know, the, the, uh, the actual bleed part. That's like the crazy part, but actually it's really like the lead up to it, but she would light the candle and to let him know, Hey, I'm starting to feel that emotional overload. 
you know, um, please be kind and a little bit, a little today is just, please be kind and considerate of that. So setting him up for success, just a little bit of communication. And it doesn't even have to be said. It's just like, Hey, you know, I'm just, I'm starting to feel like I'm already a little on overload. Like maybe take something off my plate as opposed to add. And next week I promise like, I'll be great again. Like I'll be good. But right now I just need a little more love, like maybe a little bit more affection, a little bit more understanding. And I think most men would be great with that. It's when they don't understand where it's coming from. Yeah. And it's all of a sudden, it's just like, they're biting your head off because you came home and just asked when she wants you to take, when you want her to take the car to get the oil changed. And it was like, oh, it's like too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you throw in things like birth control pill and stuff like that. And it's like, oh yeah. Hormones. There's so much that like men are just like, we're so clueless when it comes to all this stuff yeah like this stuff is really important like it is even like what happens like to you with you take that the birth control pill and then like the cycle it's like this stuff men have no idea about like right zero clue (laughs) no clue at all and so i think it's important to set each other up for success and that yeah. communication. But the first, the woman has to understand what's going on in her body. Right. And I didn't understand that for the longest time. I mean, I remember I would be training and I would just like, I would just break down. I would just, I would just start crying. And I would, I just don't know why I can't be explosive today or why I'm not getting it today. And it's because I was pushing an 11 out of 10 type of workout when it was all the wrong timing and my body wasn't responding and I'm getting frustrated. So I, I think there's a lot more to that. And I think it could actually help not just average people in relationships, but also female athletes who are looking to get the most out of their training and their bodies, because I mean, that's what we are. We're, we're coursing hormones. So it helps to work with them as opposed to against them, against them. Misha, thank you so much. This was, we covered a lot. <laughs> we did, right? We did. Yeah. Thank and then I guess so maybe much. in closing, I'll just give yeah. some people some information on the- Oh yeah, the- absolutely. I was just going to say, I was just going to yeah. say, yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I, I want to tell people too, like I came back to fighting because I, I knew I had more to give. Right. And I knew that I didn't retire from fighting because- I didn't want to fight anymore. It was because I had to reconnect with myself. And once I did that, I found that my love and passion for fighting came back organically. And I didn't know that would happen, but it's amazing what healing can really do. And, and this is just part of the journey for me. So anyways, my next fight is December 2nd. It's in Austin, Texas. It'll be on ESPN plus I'm fighting, um, a lady named Julia Avila and, um, She's a hell of a banger. She likes to really throw. She's very aggressive, which I love. I think it's much more fun to fight people who are willing to come forward and and not be afraid to exchange as opposed to, you know, sometimes people like to stick and move. Those runs are always tough, (laughs) but it should be a really good fight. And I've been working really hard this past year on these things, my mentality, my hormones, my emotions, my, um, my diet, and I continue to evolve in all of these ways. So thanks for having me here today so that I could share a little bit of, you know, what it takes to, um, be a professional athlete, as well as how I've, um, really dove into the journey of completing myself, which will be a never ending project, but I'm very passionate about it. I love to help people. I love sharing this information and, um, I'm blessed to work with a lot of people who are, like I said, 
much smarter than myself. So a lot of these things I'm regurgitating from amazing people, as I mentioned, Dr. Mindy Pels, uh, Dr. Sonia Jensen, Gary Brecka. Um, these people are just like mind blowing. Andrew Huberman. Um, Those are some great people to follow if you want to get more information than I could ever love to provide. (laughs) Yeah. You're just, I, I love it. You're such a humble person and you're such a warrior and you've done just, just being able to speak about these things is just so important for people listening, right? Like, you know, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of uh, self-reflection to do what you've done to be able to, you know, retire and then come back and learn all these lessons and all of this valuable knowledge for people that may be sitting out there like needing it so much. And I think like you're doing a lot more than just going into a fight. Like you're, you're, you're doing, there's a lot that's happening that I think is going to really impact a lot of people. So thank you for showing up the way you do. I'm really excited to watch you fight. I'm really, I feel you. more invested now. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. And um, yeah, I. what do you see as like, what's next after that? Like, do you, do you have any things that yeah, you're just no focusing idea. on that? No, awesome. you know, for me, um, I know that there is a beautiful life that goes on beyond this fight. Yeah. And that's really all that I need. Um, and I know that this fight is important to me and I want to win more than anything, but I know that I'm still Misha Tate regardless. And I will wake up the next day and have a loving family and, and the things that I have worked so hard and building and acquiring and changing and loving and learning about will still all be there. So it's okay, regardless of what happens, but this fight camp really feels different for me at least in the last, the last two, um, it feels like it's written in the stars. Like this one feels like I'm just, I'm meant to win this fight. And I'm, you know, I've worked so hard on completing myself as a person and as an athlete. And a lot of it is the mindset, you know, the way that I think about things now feels like it's going to propel me forward the way that I train according to my, biology as a female has elevated my game so much and I cannot wait to go out there and do what I love to do. And, you know, I hope to make all all of you all proud, but at the end of the day, I'll be proud of myself no matter what. Let's go. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you're listening to this or watching this. And as always share it, Sharing is caring. Tag us on social media, on Instagram. You know, we, uh, I just love seeing that pop up and, and let us know what you th- thought of this episode. I really enjoyed it. There's so many takeaways there. And, you know, it's so cool to be able to see somebody that is able to come back from a different perspective like Misha has, you know, to be able to rise to the, to the top and then fall and then come back with a different mindset. It's really inspiring. So I hope you guys got a lot out of that. Go follow Misha, go support her for fight December 2nd. Let's go much love everybody. We'll catch you next time.